Welcome to the Living Hope Church audio podcast. Join us weekly as Pastor Jeff Myers shares from God's Word. If you'd like more information about Living Hope Church of Dixon, California, please visit our website at livinghopedixon.com. So here's the deal. Uh, Mark, you can go ahead and bring that over. We, um, I had this great sermon planned, and then um, God changed my mind last night, as God likes to do occasionally. And, um, and so I have no fancy slides. I'm just going to plug my phone here, and we're going to kind of go off the, the Bible here on my phone if it works. Um, so um, there we go. We're still in the story uh, that we've been dealing that we started last week with uh, Elijah, uh, where we're looking at the life of Elijah. And Elijah is this great character who, uh, in the Bible, he's a prophet of God. He's an Old Testament prophet. We talked about last week how he's a, he was a prophet who wasn't afraid to deliver a hard message. He would walk straight up to the king and deliver the hardest of messages. And last week, that's what he did. He delivered a message that because of the wickedness of you and the wickedness of this nation, then what's going to happen is there's going to be this drought in the land. And sure enough, God dried up the place, and uh, they had been in drought. And we, you, know, we, you can go back and listen to last week's sermon on the podcast, but it was... Uh, basically some some period of of kind of uh, unexpected trials that Elijah went through just so that God could glorify his name and uh, and we talked about that a little bit last week now this week what we're going to talk about which I was going to kind of skim over this part and instead God woke me up in the middle of the night and and uh, and really kind of impressed this upon me to, to deliver so I really have no idea where we're going this morning um, other than I'm I'm need some sleep and so uh, what we're going to do, this, I don't know why I intended to skim over this, because honestly, it's, it's, um, this, is one of the, this story is one of the highlights of Elijah's life. I don't know if you were to ask Elijah someday in eternity what the biggest day of his life was. He might say it was this day, uh, because it was a, it's a huge day. It's a big, big day for Elijah, a big victory kind of day. And um, now what follows up this big victory day is what follows up a lot of big victory days in our life is that Elijah went spiraling into one of the deepest, darkest seasons of depression in his life. It's one of the reasons I love Elijah so much is because even though he is this mighty man of God, this, this, this effective, just uh, kind of hardcore servant of God, he is also very much prone to very normal things that we all tend to experience, like doubt and depression and wondering about his own legacy and, and things like this. And, and, uh, and we're going to hit that depression stuff next week. Come back next week because if you or somebody you know deals with uh, depression in any way, shape, or form, I, I believe you're going to find uh, next week's message really um, meaningful to you. Um, but for this week, we're, we're, we're going to get off the depression thing. We're going to focus on the victory thing. Um, before we dive into this story, um, those of you who were here last week know that I just returned from a trip to uh, Papua New Guinea, a mission trip that a team of us went to. And um, one of the biggest things that impressed me was kind of a new, uh, a fresh sense of vision uh, for our church, for our church. Uh, not so much new as, as fresh, um, in that what I saw happening in the lives of, of the tribal works over in Papua New Guinea was uh, these missionaries would go, will go into a, a tribe that is completely, you know, unreached, 
they will give their lives to that tribe to get to know these people, to build relationships with those people, to learn the language, to then begin to, to translate the Bible into their own language. Papua New Guinea is a country that has over 700 languages in this one little island country. Uh, just tri- little tribes scattered all over these mountains and all over the, the country that each of them have their own very distinct language. And, um, but the, once, the, the thing, there's a, a, <laughs> there's a language there in Papua New Guinea that almost everyone speaks, and it's called pidgin. Some people call it pidgin English. And it's kind of the trade language. Since there's so many uh, languages, tribal languages, they've, they've kind of settled on one kind of trade language. There's not a lot of words to this language. It's, it's, it's a pretty simple language. It's one of the easiest languages to learn in the entire world because it's, it, there's just not a lot of words to it. But this pidgin English, the only way I could describe it, it, it it's, it's awesome to listen to because it's like if you were an eight-year-old boy playing jungle in your backyard, this is the language you would make up. It is, it is just like that. It is, it, in fact, we would see uh, billboards with, uh, for advertising cereal, and, um, and, and you know, the, the words would be in pidgin English, and it would, it would say something like, uh, you know, it would have the cereal on the billboard, Nestle whatever, and then it would say, make them you strong. <laughs> make them you strong. I just, I love that. It's just, this is a very kind of simple, uh, in fact, Isaiah got a pigeon Bible while we were over there, and you can, you can kind of get into certain verses, and, and, and he would, he would just start uh, reading it in pigeon, and I could make it out in English, but it was like, again, it was like this kind of eight-year-old made-up language uh, type stuff. It's really funny to listen to. Uh, I probably shouldn't make fun of that language, but it, I'm not making fun of it. It's just very interesting to me. But so uh, what, a lot of times the gospel has been presented to people in Papua New Guinea in pidgin, um, and because it's a language that is somewhat common over there and it's very easy to learn. Uh, but the gospel does not take heart to the people in those tribes until what they found, until they hear it in their own language. And when they hear that gospel in their own language, it clicks and it makes sense. And they begin to get more... Um, difficult concepts like grace and the love of God and justice and things like that that really was kind of foggy to them before, suddenly they hear it in their own language and it just makes sense. It just makes sense. And the gospel begins. So, so these missionaries, they get in there, they get the word to these people in their own heart language, as they call it. And, and then as the gospel begins to pe- penetrate all these different communities, what happens long term, 20, 30, 40 years into a work, is that they begin to see um, not just a church planted, but they begin to see a an entire community transformed by the gospel of Jesus Christ. I mean, in, in sometimes very shocking, shocking waves. We're talking about people who are just one or two generations removed from being these kind of warring, even cannibalistic tribes. And the gospel takes heart and takes root and, and, and takes root in their own lives. And, and again, it's not that a church building goes up. It's not that the word of God is being regularly preached, even though that's happening. It's that the gospel gets in and actually transforms that community. And as I began to see those examples, and that was the goal of the missionaries over there, God began to kind of refresh my own vision for our church. And this is what I want to share with you this morning, that... um, it's not, it's not our goal, it's not my goal to 
just raise up a church here in Dixon. Um, it, honestly, anybody can raise up a church. It, anybody can raise up a church. Um, now, it takes God to bless it. It takes God to, to grow it, to, to cause life change to happen. But churches rise and churches fall every day all over this country. What I want for Living Hope Church is that God uses us to be the catalyst for genuine change, gospel-oriented change to this entire community. It's not, I don't want us to ever get to the point to where, you know, maybe we get into a building and, uh, you know, we have, you know, we're averaging a few hundred, several hundred, you know, or whatever, and things start kind of looking like they're healthy or, or whatever that is that we, you know, that kind of dream of, uh, you know, when we've arrived as a church or whatever that looks like. That's not, that's not the goal. The goal is we're not done until the gospel has transformed Dixon, until it has genuinely come into this town and taken root and by and large this community begins to think and act with the mind of Christ. You know, when I hear people you know, talk about days gone by, um, and, and, and a lot of times they talk about it with such nostalgia, like there was this time when uh, you know, this nation was very much focused on God and the things of God, and, and our values reflected that. And, and I think there's some truth to that. I, I also think that uh, the good old days weren't necessarily as good as sometimes we make them out to be. Uh, but what I, what I know is I, I believe that it's still possible for the, gospel, for, for the gospel of Jesus Christ to take root into a community and actually see tangible change happen into that community in the way that that community begins to think, in the way that families begin to operate, in the way that we care for each other, in the way that... Uh, that, that, that we could be that beacon, that shining light, that city on a hill that the Bible talks about. I, I, I want to see that kind of change. It's not enough for us to put a building up. It's not enough for us to occupy a building. It's not enough for us to get to a certain number of people or a certain number of a level of giving or, or, or a certain number of programs or, or give so much to missions. That, that's not enough. It's not enough until we have seen this is this is what this is what it, the, the biggest difference is. You, you either see yourself as a um, a child of God, kind of going to a church here in Dixon, or you see yourself as a child of God called to Dixon as your mission field. And if you are, and and by the way, in, in case you haven't figured it out yet, that's what you are you're a follower of Jesus Christ and God has placed you here, Dixon is your mission field. Not, not just your own little circle of friends and family, not just this little community that we call Living Hope Church, but this little corner of the world is the mission field that God has called you to and called you to go in and, and into it and to be a catalyst of change and bring the gospel to it. It's not the responsibility or, or the sole responsibility of, of church leaders uh, or, or whatever else. It's, it's all of us together seeing our role in this particular mission of bringing the gospel 
not just to building up a little church here in Dixon, but bringing the gospel in a way that transforms this community. We need to be that kind of mission-minded people. And I think a lot of times we become so distracted by, by everything. By, you know, we're so, we're, we have this entertainment mentality that distracts us. We have, a lot of times we, we become even distracted by our own families because of the way we have structured our lives that we have effectively made our children our gods by the way we structure our lives that we have effectively made our careers our gods uh, or, or, or whatever, or sports, or, or any number of other things. We are so distraction-oriented people. And for children of God, I, I want to tell you this morning, that cannot be an option. When we talk about putting, you know, we, you know a lot of times we talk about putting God first and kind of God first and then your family and then, you know, whatever else. And, and, and uh, when we talk about making God first in our life and giving Him priority in our life, that's not just about you carving out 10 minutes or 15 minutes a day to read the Bible and spend some time in prayer. That's, that's, that's not what putting God first in your life looks like. Putting God first and making Him the priority in your life means... Again, you kind of daily say to God, God, I will, I will go wherever you need me to go. I will say whatever you need me to say. I will speak to whoever you need me to speak to. I will bring your love and your message of hope and your gospel message and your message of truth to whoever, whenever, wherever. God, my life is about you. And so you don't just become a people who are... Uh, you know, who, who uh, you know, you're a member of Living Hope Church, and you kind of do the Christian thing, uh, and you, then you go to work, and then you, you know, you take your kids to Little League, and you do this. Th- Instead, every aspect of your life is tied into that sense of mission. Every single aspect of your life. So your work is not just the place where you go to make money and try to get promotions. Your work is a very specific mission field that God has called very specifically you to. It's not just some place. When I have worked, uh, you know, jobs in my life, when I haven't been in full-time church work, when I've worked, uh, you know, different types of careers, that sort of thing, the thing that got, because I'm going to be honest with you, I hated it. <laughs> I hate I hate working so much. Um, I'm just teasing. I love working the way God has called me to work. But that getting out into the workforce, uh, a lot I could only be satisfied with it for so long because usually when I was out in the workforce like that, it was because I was in the process of running from the call of God on my life. And so I could not find peace in it. And what I would find was the Excuse me, the only way that I could find a sense of peace at work was not so much to focus on the work, even though I was going to work to the best of my ability and, and work in such a way that honored God. But I began to see my workplace as my mission field, and I began to look for opportunities to bring the gospel into the lives of, of the people that God had put me in contact with. And so, likewise, if you are a part of a little league, your little league that you're helping your kids through, or maybe you're helping coach with or whatever, it does not then become this thing that gets the priority in 
in your life and where you're teaching your kids a sense of commitment through sports. Instead, that little league, that coach, that sports network is, again, one more mission field that God has called you to, and you're constantly looking for connections. You're constantly looking for an end to present the gospel. You're constantly praying, God, would you bring out one of the faces in this crowd that, that you would have me uh, build a relationship with and, and, and hopefully over time begin to show the truth to. I'm not talking about us becoming very annoying, very um, 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 just abrasive people in terms of, you know, just, you know, cramming the gospel down people's throats. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about building genuine relationships where when people get to know you and get to see what's happening in your life and get to see the hope that's in your life, they will ask you about that hope. You will not have to bring it up yourself, I promise you. If you're living that life in front of them where you are constantly just allowing the hope of the gospel to kind of ooze out of you all the time, where, where God is at the forefront of your mind and at your conversation all the time, before long, your friends, these people that God has put in your life and, and is allowing you to build relationships with for gospel purposes, eventually they will, they will hit a point in their life where they need some hope and you will be the person they turn to. You will be the person they turn to. Because somewhere, even though they can't even hardly put it into the Word, somewhere in the back of their mind, they're thinking, there's something different about him. There's something different about her. I, I, I wish I had a little bit of that joy. I wish I had a little bit of that hope, that optimism. Before long, just kind of casually in conversation, they'll, they'll ask you a leading question. And Satan will get in your head and say, Shut this conversation down, uncomfortable, 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 you know, that sort of thing. And, and your calling in that moment is to push Satan aside and say, all right, here we go. Here we go. I've, had, I've built relationships with so many different types of people in my life where I didn't have to cram the gospel down their throats. I, I just had to build a relationship with them. And before long, they began to know me and begin to see what my priorities were. And sometimes people even stuck in very, uh, what we would kind of, you know, by our standards, uh, you know, label as kind of uh, serious sin problems, as if there's, there are casual sin problems. Even people kind of stuck in those serious sin problems will then begin to say, you know, what, what do you think the Bible says about this? What, what, what does God think about the way, you know, uh, the choices I'm making? They'll begin to ask very pointed questions like that. I love carrying on those conversations with people, and, and I'll say something to the effect of, I want, I, want, I want you to remember this relationship that we have had up until this point, that I've never once judged you, that I've never once tried to pile guilt on you or anything like that. I want you to remember that up to this point, and I also want you to remember that I didn't bring this up. You asked this question. <laughs> and they're like, okay, go ahead, lay it on me. And then you lay out the truth. And the God, God that calls us to all these different mission fields that he calls us to, that we are so blind to, that we just kind of walk through and run, actually run through busily in our lives from one appointment to the next, never once considering why God had purposed for us to be in one of those appointments, Never once considering why, what, what it is God has for me to be with this group of people. That he begins to orchestrate those conversations. He begins to orchestrate those relationships in such a way that the gospel can take root. 
But that only happens when we as a people begin to see every aspect of our lives as God's mission for us. Every aspect. Even to your homes, even to the way that you raise your kids, if you have kids. Your home is very much your mission field. We become very mission-oriented people, and we as a church are not going to be satisfied until the gospel takes root in this community and brings tangible change to this community. Tangible change. Not just one more church. We're not looking to plant one more church. We're looking to see change. Now, we're, we're, our church is at this um, kind of critical junction where God has been blessing us and our church is growing. Um, you know, over the last year, our church has grown a lot. I mean, by normal standards, it's, it's grown a lot. And we're seeing God calling people into closer relationships, and we're seeing life change happening within this community, and good things are happening. And we're in this critical junction where our growth is outpacing our commitment. I want you to hear that one more time. We're at this place where our growth is outpacing our commitment. And so what that looks like, practically speaking, in the life of our church is that as our church grows and our, our need uh, for, let, let me use this as an example, our need for, say, volunteers serving in different areas of our church, because as our church, as our kids' ministries grow and as different areas of our church life grow and teens and young adults and different things and, uh, you know, small groups and everything else, is all that kind of the need for that stuff continues to grow, we're at this place where we don't have the people who are mature enough, committed enough yet in their relationship to step up and say, I will serve. I will serve to make this happen. Now, how do we balance that with what I just said about we're not just about building one more church, we're about seeing change in the, in the community? We... Living Hope Church and our mission here in this organization is not just about building up a church. And so when we make the call uh, and, and, and uh, put out, you know, that we think that you would say uh, be a great, um, that your gifts would be greatly used in our kids' ministry. And we think that you, you could really do that and you could make a, a definite impact there. It's not because we're trying to just put one more church out on the street. It's because we're trying to create an environment here that is so unexpected that people walk into it and all their presuppositions about Christians and about church and about God get completely blown away by what they experience when they get here. This is not, again, about putting one more church up on another corner here in town. It's about creating an environment and creating a community that goes against what everybody considers is normal, average, dysfunctional church. And when we create an environment through the way, even through the way uh, people are greeted when they arrive here, through the, the, ex the worship they experience that they hear, through the excitement that the kids get to experience in their, in their kids' ministries, and, and, and when, when, when parents get to experience what I get to experience as a parent, which is my kids, when, I, when every Saturday, you know, when we're kind of uh, Saturday night, you know, my kids know that they can normally stay up a little bit 
later, my, my younger ones, my little ones, and uh, they, they can normally stay up a little bit later, but Saturday night, it's like, well, you can't stay up too late tonight because we have church tomorrow, and as soon as I say we have church tomorrow, I got Isla and Meadow going, woo, church tomorrow. They love it. They can't wait to get here. It is like a celebration every Saturday night that t- church is coming tomorrow. Every single weekend for as long as we've been here, they love this place. They love this place. And that's the kind of effect that we want families to feel all over this community. And what happens is that when people get introduced, uh, and, and people get introduced to God through all kinds of different ways, and this is just one of them. But those who begin, get introduced to Christ and to the gospel message through a church like our church, we want them to have the best experience that they can possibly have. Let me, can I throw out a really practical? We're going to get to the word here in just a second, I promise. But let me, let me, let me throw out a really practical uh, example of a way that, you, just something so simple of a way that you can contribute to uh, making our church look as beautiful as it possibly can so people can hear the gospel without any obstacles. It's so simple, so simple. Actually, it's not simple for living hopers, but it can be. Trust me, it can be. Um, if you would just show up to church on time, you're like, Jeff, you're asking too much. But I'm, I'm dead serious. It's, this is not just me as a pastor nagging you, please be on time to church. There's a reason I'm saying this. Because you know who shows up to church on time, 9 o'clock, uh, you know, on, for a, a Sunday service? New people. And you know what they see when they get here? Nobody. Nobody. Do you know what kind of impression that leaves on a brand new person walking into this room, sitting, maybe a little nervous, maybe a little apprehensive about what they might experience in the church, and they get here, and they're the only ones, and it's like, what did I just get myself into? Do you know how, how much of just an impression you could help leave on people just by being here on time, ready to worship, ready to worship? I, and I get all the reasons why we're late. I, I, I have them all myself, trust me. But that's just something so small. But it goes, there are things like that that bleed into every area of our church. When when I say that we have a mission of seeing the gospel transform this community, that's that's accomplished by big and small things. It's accomplished by you being available. However, God needs you to be available. And it's also accomplished by you just getting into a community of believers like Living Hope Church and just saying, you know what, I'm, I'm going to make this thing go and make it the most beautiful place that it possibly can be because when people come in needing the hope of the gospel, I don't want there to be any obstacle in their way for them to hear that message. And so if it means creating an environment where their kids feel loved and taught and creating these environments where, where their teens experience a, a youth group that is not only fun, but it is effectively drawing them in closer to a relationship with Christ. If it means creating an environment where, where there is freedom in worship, and worship is beautiful, and worship is something maybe unexpected. If it, it means creating an environment where, where the word is taught in a little bit different way, whatever that, whatever that looks like, whatever it looks like, know this, that... It all matters. It all matters. 
All right, let's read the word now. So, verse 17, uh, 1 Kings chapter 18. Um, God has basically decided he's going to let it rain again. And there, if you read the first 16 chap- verses of this chapter, uh, you'll, you'll see there's a pretty interesting story there, kind of comical of uh, interaction with a guy named Obadiah that was arranging a meeting between Elijah and the king. Because uh, uh, basically the king had been ticked off at Elijah and had been searching the, the world over for this man because uh, he basically wanted him dead. And, um, and so, uh, Obed, anyway, uh, you can read that one on your own. I'm just going to skip into verse 17. So they get the meeting together. Verse 17 says this, When Ahab saw Elijah, Ahab said to him, Is it you, you troubler of Israel? And he answered, I have not troubled Israel, but you have, and your father's house, because you have abandoned the commandments of the Lord and followed the Baals. Now therefore send and gather all Israel to me at Mount Carmel, and the 450 prophets of Baal, and the 400 prophets of Asherah, who eat at Jezebel's table. Jezebel was the king's wife, the queen. And so basically, um, Elijah is getting ready to deliver the news that God has relented. He is going to allow rain and moisture to enter the land again, and the drought to be over with. But he says, but he's basically saying, before that, we have a meeting that needs to take place. What had happened was Jezebel, she was a worshiper of, of Baal and, and these, this Asherah gods and things like that. And she had basically sent out word to kill all the prophets of God. And so Obadiah, the guy I mentioned earlier, he had, he had taken uh, several hundred uh, prophets of God and hid them in caves so they would not be killed. The prophets of God were on the move. They were in hiding and, uh, and, you know, trying to keep from being killed. And so now Israel was totally spiritually being led by uh, false prophets of false gods. And so now that God has uh, stretched out this drought long enough as, as kind of a way to bring Israel back to him, uh, he then uh, he sends Elijah to, to the king, and, and Elijah basically says, this, this meeting is going to have to take place first. I want all those prophets, however many was, what was it, 400, 450 prophets of Baal and the 400 prophets of Asherah who eat at Jezebel's table, meet me on the, up, up on the mountain. We're going to have a meeting. And this is where we go with this. So Ahab sent to all the people of Israel and gathered the prophets together at Mount Carmel. Listen to this verse. And Elijah came near to all the people and said, How long will you go limping between two different opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal then follow him. And the people did not answer a word. I want to sit on this for just a second because the reason this is so important is this was Elijah's vision for this country was to get away from the worship of all these false, false gods, get back to the worship of the one and only true God, the only one who deserved all praise and all worship. He wanted to get back that he had a vision for a community transformed. He didn't have vision to start up a new service. He didn't have vision to, to, uh, you know, to, to put up a little church building, another little synagogue or anything like that. He had a vision for a community transformed in such a way that they would remember the one and only true God. And I love the way he presents this to him. He says, how long will you be limping between two different opinions? How long? If God's God, then worship him. If Baal's God, then worship him. And then what's that? what happened to people? They didn't even answer him. They had an identity crisis. They didn't know who they were. They didn't know whose they were. They didn't know that God had, had or they had forgotten that God had selected them as, as his chosen people. They weren't sure who God was. 
And so they were a little afraid to speak up and say, okay, we're going to worship the one and only true God. They didn't really want to do that because they weren't sure if he really was God. And I want to tell you the same question and the same statement comes to you guys this morning as we are at this kind of critical juncture in, in, in the history of our church. How long are you going to limp between two different opinions? How long are you going to limp between either fully serving the only God that is worthy of your service and worthy of your praise or serving your own needs and making gods out of everything else in your life? How long are you going to limp there? And you can sit here silently, and if you do, it's because you don't know who the God is that you're serving. Because if you knew him, and if you knew his power, and if you remembered the way he came in and changed your life and the love he's shown you by sending his son to die for you to make a way for you to have, live in relationship with him, you wouldn't hesitate on this at all. You would not hesitate at all. But how long, how long are we going to limp? How long are we going to limp? Let's keep going. Then Elijah said to the people, I, even I only, am left a prophet of the Lord. But Baal's prophets are 450 men. Let two bulls be given to us, and let them choose one bull for themselves, and cut it into pieces, and lay it on the wood, but put no fire to it. And I'll prepare the other bull, and lay it on the wood, and put no fire to it. And you call upon the name of your God, and I'll call upon the name of the Lord. And the God who answers by fire, well, he is God. And all the people answered, it's well spoken. Then Elijah said to the prophets of Baal, Choose for yourselves one bull and prepare it first, for you are many, and call upon the name of your God, but put no fire to it. And they took the bull that was given them, and they prepared it and called upon the name of Baal from morning until noon, saying, O Baal, answer us. But there was no voice, and no one answered, and they limped around the altar that they had made. And at noon, Elijah, this is so good, at noon, Elijah mocked them, saying, Cry aloud, for he is a god. Either he's musing, or he's relieving himself, or he's on a journey, or perhaps he's asleep and must be wakened. So Elijah exercises in this moment my primary spiritual gift, which is prophetic sarcasm. And uh, I, I love Elijah for this. I love that Elijah's like, you know, he sees them just marching around and trying to get fire to fall from their God and, and take, you know, to, to take their, their bull as a sacrifice and things like that, and nothing's happening. And they're, you know, they're, they're just ripping their clothes off, and they're acting you know, just ridiculous trying to get this to happen. And Elijah, rather than taking what we, most of us would consider to be the high road and uh, just kind of letting them you know, be insensitive to you know, their beliefs or whatever, Elijah basically just, just lays in and starts making fun of them. And, and, and making fun of their God, Baal. And, well, you know, maybe he's in the bathroom, knock on the door, you know, whatever. Uh, you know, what, it, it's all this kind of stuff. And, and I love that he just kind of, he knows. Elijah knows. Elijah has no doubt in his mind. He knows who his God is. He knows the power of his God. He knows that there is no other. So he has no problem at all saying these things and having a little fun right here. And they cried aloud and cut themselves after their custom with swords and lances until the blood gushed out. And as midday passed, they raved on until the time of the offering of the oblation. But there was no voice, no one answered, no one paid attention. And I'm going to tell you this, as a people of God this morning, if you 
um, if you continue to limp between two different opinions, as this word has, 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 has said, if you will not declare your allegiance to the one and only true God and your allegiance to the mission that he has placed on your life. This is not for some of you. If you're a child of God living here in Dixon, this is the mission in your life that you bring gospel change to this community through whatever way that God calls you to do that. If you will not accept that call, you are going to find yourself in the position of these prophets and no one will answer and no one will pay attention. You will find yourself very lonely in the things that you have chosen to put first above God. And you will find that they will, those things that you have chosen in your life to place above priority to, to God himself, you will come up empty in your worship of those things. You may say, Jeff, I don't worship those things. And I would say, we're all worshiping something. We, all, we are made to worship. We are created to worship. It's built into our DNA. And you need to ask yourself, do I spend my days and my time and my mental energy and my priorities worshiping God, or am I distracted by other things? And if the answer to that is yes, I, I tend to be distracted by God or by other things, then you're worshiping other things. You're worshiping other things. Then Elijah said to all the people, verse 30, come near to me. And all the people came near to him. And he repaired the altar of the Lord that had been thrown down. That's our job. And that's my call to all of us in this room this morning. I want to tell you, come near to me. Come near to this church. Come near to the leaders here that God has placed over you. Come near and let's get in and let's roll up our sleeves and let's do this gospel work together. And again, this, the church is, Living Hope Church's role in bringing gospel transformation to this community is only one of many roles. But it's a role, and it's the place that God has called you to. And so come near, and let's work, and let's do this thing. And let's repair the altar that's been torn down here in Dixon. And let's see gospel change come to this community. Elijah took 12 stones, verse 31, according to the number of the tribes of the son of Jacob, to whom the word of the Lord came, saying, Israel should be your name. <coughs> and with the stones he built an altar in the name of the Lord, and he made a trench about the altar as great as would contain two seahs of seed. And he put the wood in order and cut the bull in pieces and laid it on the wood. And he said, fill four jars with water and pour it on the burnt offering and on the wood. And he said, do it a second time. And they did it a second time. And then he said, do it a third time. And they did it a third time. And the water ran around the altar and filled the trench also with water. He soaked this bull and this wood, uh, just waterlogged it. Verse 36. And at the time of the offering of the oblation, Elijah, the prophet, came near and said, O Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known this day, this day, that you are God in Israel, and that I am your servant, and that I have done all these things at your word. Answer me, O Lord, answer me, that this people may know that you, O Lord, are God, and that you have turned their hearts back. We do this thing that we do. We do this gospeling mission in this community, not so that we can build up any of our names, not so that we can make the name of Living Hope Church famous. We do it so that, God, that they will know that you, O oh Lord, are God and that you have turned their hearts back. We do it for God and for his glory, not for our own. When we are called to a mission by the God of the universe to participate with him in bringing life change, guys, I want you to hear this this morning. This is not a small call on your life. 
This is not a small thing. It's the biggest thing in your life. It's the biggest. I, I want you to hear that right now. There, the gospeling of this community is the biggest thing in your life if you're a follower of Jesus Christ living here in this community. There is nothing bigger. Not your kids, not your wife, not your job, not your pastimes, not anything. Because if you are spending all of your uh, priority or putting God in the position of priority, if, you, if, the, if the gospeling of this community becomes then the biggest thing in your life, then everything else that I just mentioned is going to be taken care of under that automatically. You're going to parent your kids in a way that honor God. You're going to work your job in a way that honors God. You're going to be a neighbor and a, a citizen of this community in a way that brings honor and glory to God. And, and, and by virtue of that nature itself, then makes you effective at all of those things. But the biggest thing, the biggest calling in your life right now is the gospeling of this place right here where God has called you to. Don't miss that. It's not a small thing. It's not for somebody else. It's for you. It's for all of us. Then the fire of the Lord fell. Verse 38. And consumed the burnt offering and the wood and the stones and the dust and licked up the water that was in the trench. And when all the people saw it, what happened? They fell on their faces and said, The Lord, He is God. The Lord, He is God. And Elijah said to them, Seize the prophets of Baal. This is, this is okay, this is my favorite verse of the whole story. And it's just because it's like the second grader in me coming up, okay? And Elijah said to them, Seize the prophets of Baal, let not one of them escape. And they seized them. And Elijah brought them down to the brook Kishon and slaughtered them there. Wow, that's a great story. That's a great story. Elijah meant business. He was like, I am ridding this country of the evil, and we are turning our faces back to God. And what happened was when the people saw the power of God so greatly demonstrated, it suddenly became a no-brainer to them. Was God God? Was Baal God? No. The Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. And I, I can just imagine the thousands of people gathered on this, this mountaintop to see this showdown between Elijah and the prophets of Baal and the thunderous sound it must have made for all of those people to begin to chant, the Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. And it became suddenly very clear in their head that their priorities had been wrong, that their attention had been fixed on the wrong things, that they needed to be called back and turned around in their ways, called to repentance, to worship the one and only true God. And change came to this community in a powerful way in a moment. Now, guys... We have seen the power of God active in our own lives. And this is what I don't want you to forget. This is why we, are, we have such short-term memories, such short-term memories that we forget how God so strongly moves in our lives. If, 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 if we go any length of time at all without seeing something miraculous or some wonderful sign from God, we tend to, to get a little wishy-washy in our faith and our attention gets, we get very distracted and things like that. And God is powerful. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He'll always be the same. He, that powerful God who saved you, who removed that guilt and that shame, who gave you freedom in Christ, who has done wonderful, who has provided for you in times when you needed provision, who has been there to 
build you up and encourage you when you were down. That God who has never forgotten you and never forsaken you, that same God is still in power and still in control today. And he is worthy of your allegiance and he is worthy of your praise and he's worthy of your life. He's worthy of your life. And if we want to answer, and if we're going to answer the call that God has placed on all of our lives as Christians in this city of Dixon or as Christians in the city of Vacaville or wherever it is you, you drove here from today, then you have to step up and say, God, I want to be involved in the kind of gospel change that you have for this community. God, use me however you will give me new eyes for everything that I do. Give me new eyes for everything that you have in store for me. God, in my workplace, in my family, in my neighborhood, in the little organizations I'm a part of. God, give me missional gospel eyes for every place that you've placed me. God, I want to respond because you're worth it. Because I have seen your power displayed in my life and I know there is no other. And forgive me when my short-term memory causes me to forget that. Guys, our mission here is, it's a, it's a big mission. It's a big, I don't know if you've noticed, but our community does not think with the mind of Christ. It just doesn't. It's not a horrible community. It's just not a Christ-minded community. But that's why God has put us here. That's why God's put us here. And so we're going to build up, you know, we're going to do everything we can to, to get in with God and what he's doing. And we're going to see this church grow. And we're going to see life change come to people in this church. And people grow spiritually and step up and make new commitments. And we're going to grow in numbers. And we're going to grow and we're going to, you know, occupy a building someday soon. And we're going to do all this stuff that we hope to do. But it's just one cog in the process of God's overall mission of seeing this community changed by his gospel. And we're going to do that stuff so that we can eliminate all barriers and all obstacles to that message. But I want to remind you this morning that we can only do that if you make yourself available to God. You can only do that if you make yourself available to God. You can only, we can only see that happen if God's people in this town will stop limping between two different opinions and decide, as for me and my house today, we serve the Lord. And that means every area of our life, God is priority in our life, every single area. And so that's what I want to challenge you to do. Now, there's so many different ways that you can do that. God puts little individual calls on our life all the time, and sometimes we hear them and sometimes we ignore them. Sometimes it's calls to just, like I said, build relationships with people in your workplace or with your neighbors or whatever, you know, but, but you're seeing the missional opportunities in all of these realms of your life. Sometimes God calls us to step up and make our church, our, this community of believer, believers, more effective and more beautiful. And, and I know, this is what I know, there's some of you who have been a part of this church since its inception, and you've been here for a lot of years, and some of you, rightly so, have taken a break from ministry because you've been serving and serving and serving, you just needed a time to regroup or whatever. And this is what I'm going to say to you, you deserve that break, break's over, get back to work. Get back to work, I'm not joking. Get back to work, we can't do this without you. We, can't do, we will limp and limp and limp and limp until we all step up and do what God has called us to do, which is make this thing go. And when we don't step up, it falls apart. When we don't, it falls apart. We had 
yesterday, we, we came here to set up, this, this church was set up for you to worship in this morning by four people. Would you thank them this morning for, for setting that up for you? Four people. Your, your kids are being taught and loved on right now by a very small group of people who, who stepped up and who step up often because a lot of times some of you who should be stepping up aren't. And they deserve your thanks too. But they deserve more than your thanks. They deserve for you to lock arms with them and do this work with them. Do this work with them. It is an important work. It is an important work. And through the work of this church and through the work of the little callings that we all experience in different realms of our life and, and the way, you know, the groups that we're involved with in this community and through other callings that we sometimes hear to go and, you know, God calls us in a billion different ways, but through this community and through our individual callings in the community, we will see this community transformed. We will see it transformed, but it's going to take all of us. So I want to challenge you, don't sit back on the sidelines anymore. Don't stand back and just wait for it to be, you know, this is not some sort of consumeristic church. What's one of our core value statements is this, that... uh, we, the, the church is not here for us. We are the church, and we are here for the world. We are the church, and we are here for the world. And so get out there and serve God, and serve God in, in all the areas that you're involved in in your life outside these walls, and then serve God within these walls to make this the most beautiful community we can make it so that people can hear the message clearly when they get here. And when we do that, and we do that, and we don't lose heart, and we keep doing it, and we keep doing it, and we keep doing it, we're going to see this thing, the gospel, begin to take root in this community, and change will happen. Change will happen. But it starts with a people who will get clear about who it is that they serve. And begin, the cry of their heart will begin to be, the Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. I have no other gods in my life but him, and I'll do whatever it takes to bring the same hope that I have to everyone around me. And we'll see this community transformed. Let's pray. Father, we love you. And your word is good to us, even when it's hard. Father, would you, you have never stopped calling us in your work, and and. and Hundreds of different ways you call us to step up and serve you. God, but we have ignored you long enough that we have uh, become deaf to that call. And so, God, would you shout it loudly in our souls and in our ears this morning? God, would you wake us up and remind us the things that you have called us to do? God, would you forgive us of our laziness? Would you forgive us of our complacency? God, would you forgive us of living our lives as if we could care less that people are dying and going to hell all around us. Would you forgive us of that? God, would you place in our lives just a a fire in our bellies to serve you and to see change come to this community? God, we love this community and we thank you so much for, for planting us here, for very intentionally planting each one of us in the neighborhoods that we're planted in, in the, in the, occupations that we're planted in and the schools that we're planted in. God, thank you so much. God, would you help us to see clearly the mission field that you have laid out before us? Would you help us to stop seeing people as nuisances, as people who are in the way of us getting things done, but instead, God, the reason why we're here in the first place. 
God, give us a love for people. We don't want to just see them as projects, but God, give us a genuine love for the people that you have us to build relationships with. We love you, and we love them, and we love this church. God, for people that I know that you have placed a call in their life to serve in greater ways in the context of this church, God, I pray that you would help them to put all the excuses aside, begin to make you a priority, and step up and serve and in meaningful ways, God, in meaningful ways. God, you are good. We love you, and we thank you so much for your word to us this morning. And um, God, I pray that you would just send us out this week and let faces stick out in the crowd and show us people that you need for us to begin to build relationships, God. Your word says that the fields are white, the harvest is ready. So God, show us that harvest let us help you harvest it. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.